0: Welcome back to the show. This is Everything's Interesting with Jesse Mogul. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for stopping by. Today's guest is Patrick Ananda. He is the founder of the Magnetic Man Brotherhood. He shows men how to get outside of themselves, how to get outside of their own heads and really become the men that they've locked up inside themselves. Does he help people with dating? Absolutely. But does he really make men dive deep within themselves and figure out what is it that's been holding them back from succeeding in all aspects of their life? If one of the changes you're looking to make this year is a better understanding of yourself or the men in your life, you're gonna be thrilled that you stopped by today. Five, four, three, two, one, it's showtime. Welcome to the show, Patrick. How are you today?
1: I'm great. Thanks for having me, Justin.
0: I've been dying to get you on the microphone. Um, ever since I met you and was a part of your program. There's you're doing you're doing great work out there in the field of just communication and, and helping men just become a better version of themselves. Uh there's so much that we're gonna be able to talk about. This is gonna be a great conversation, so I'm really happy that I was able to get you, especially considering you're a Canadian living in Poland right now. We're doing this via Zoom, so let's hope that the audience is patient with us if we start getting any breakups in our communication. You do these magnetic mans. You've got this whole project that you put people through, you put these men through. And it's different, you know, if somebody were to hear that and think, oh, this guy just, you know, just does those things where it's like those gamer books or, and things of that nature, it's completely different. What you do is absolutely just congruent with who you are as a person. Um, So for those out there who who don't know anything about you, but, but just know that you're a part of this, today is the day to start making a change theme that I'm doing this season. Let's discuss what it is you do so that they can become more knowledgeable.
1: Yeah, well, in a nutshell, what I actually do is that I help nice guys become good men so they can meet their dream girl at the end of the day. So this isn't about helping guys get laid. This is about guys who love themselves, who love women and just want to be better. They just want a, a better quality of life and they want a better quality of relationships. And that's, those are the kind of guys that I'm speaking to. Those are the kind of guys that I'm working with.
0: You know, a lot of people out there will, will wonder, you know, how somebody who, you know, let, let's just take me because I, I mean how to speak in the first person, this third person stuff. For me, I was carrying a lot of baggage and, and a lot of, Hate might be a too strong of a word, but a lot of disdain for who I was in the past. And my 30s were a direct reflection of how much I autocorrected the other way <clears throat> from what I did in my 20s. And I, just, and I carried a lot of disdain for myself, for how I treated women, for how I treated myself, uh, just for about how I went about my life. Going into my 40s, I knew something had to change, and I could not continue to beat myself up like that. And so... For me, when I got a hold of what you were doing, it was, you, you spent a good amount of the, the the first month of the program just getting the men to, like, get in line and, and go through their own baggage inside so that they could fully show up for month two. Discuss how you decided to go that route with your program and, and what it was that made you realize that there was a lot of guys out there carrying stories that they were just not being useful to them anymore.
1: Yeah, well, that's a, a lot to unpack in your question. So let me try my best, and then you can let me know if I've answered you adequately or if you want me to expand some more. But my basic philosophy is that we all have two major tracks in our lives, two major paths to choose from. Now, you can either be drag kicking and screaming towards a life that you really don't want, and that's usually the option that most people go for, and it's not their fault. It's just that they don't know there's a different option. They don't know how much power they actually have. So if we're speaking about men in particular, now this option involves compensation. It involves uh, a lot of Band-Aid options, right? So I'm not going to go and figure out why I don't feel good enough for the kind of women that I want to attract, right? I'm not going to sit and figure out why am I not anxious around the women that I don't really like, but when I see a girl I really like, I completely freeze up and I don't know what to say and I run out of, you know. I'm not going to figure out why. Instead, I'm going to go for the nearest, you know, three easy steps to get her into bed. And then when I run out of those three easy steps and she's in my bed, well, then I'm going to find the, you know, supreme tactic to keep her interested for one month and then the next one. And, you know, so that's the first option. And the second track is you can make your life so goddamn exciting, so fulfilling that you just literally jump out of bed in the morning. And from there, you invite the kind of people the kind of women that you want to become a part of that journey with you. And it's a radically different way of of looking at things. It's by invitation only. (laughs) It's it's literally, and it always begins with a choice.
0: We all have those
1: those two paths in front of us, and we have to make that choice. Sooner or later, everybody does.
0: And you bring up a really good point. A lot of people in general just start going through the motions in their daily life and they're, and maybe they they lose track of, made them excited as a kid, and then trying to bring that back into their adult life. For me, getting sober became so powerful and relatively easy because I immediately brought back in all of my passions, my hobbies, my talents, my skills. So now I've got all this free time. I'm not waking up with a hangover anymore. What am I going to do with all of this enthusiasm I have? And it's it, it became you know, not simple, not easy, but it just it became exciting to wake up every day and see what the day held. And so, are you finding that you're you're spending a lot of time with the guys trying to get them to stop living those stories and and start? Like, if no, if if somebody's 40 or 50 and they haven't really felt that their life's exciting for 20 or 30 years, how do you get them to be exciting all of a sudden? <laughs>
1: um, well, it basically begins with a choice. Look, to me, in in 2017, going on 2018, there is no excuse. There's no excuse. I mean, you guys realize that you can learn another language for free on the Internet. You can learn to dance. You can learn to cook. You can learn to play guitar. Everything that that used to cost a lot of money, that used to be a, a headache to do, is now just so incredibly affordable, so ridiculously accessible. So the problem isn't that. The problem is distraction. And, there's, again, there's always two ways to combat these things. There's Number one, it could be drag-kicking and screaming. So, in other words, you can go, oh, I, can, I need some ADHD medication. And the other option, the easier one, is to be so excited, so obsessed about what you're trying to create. And that involves a couple of different steps as well. Right? This is like uh, Frederick Nietzsche once said, that uh, give a man a strong enough why, and he can endure anyhow. how. Right? So, to be so obsessed by your life, that there is no distraction, that there's nothing else that even comes into view because you know where you're going. You know exactly what it is that you want, and on top of that, you know how to get there, or at least you feel like you know how to get there. But the reality is, I mean, that's that's where I come in is to, to give you step-by-step actionable uh, stuff to do to actually get there.
0: People out there that are already in long-term relationships, maybe even married with kids, you know, how could they take – your ideas, your mentality, and incorporate that into their life to rejuvenate a relationship that may have gone that may have grown stagnant.
1: Oh, uh, wow, it's a it's a really good question. First and foremost, don't take my ideas, forget my ideas, find your ideas, and that includes a couple things. That requires, first and foremost, solitude. Briefly, I know you have kids, I know you have responsibilities. A lot of the guys that I've worked with are either are either divorced or or broken up and they have kids and they're, they, they have a million and one things to look after, but it requires being a little bit selfish, just a little bit at first. Try to find some time to yourself. Now, I'm talking two, three hours at most. If you can take one Saturday and go off into the woods or go for a hike or something, do that. But spend that time with yourself and then sit and ask ideally, what would my life look like? More than that, what does my behavior look like? What kind of man am I? What do I value? That's a powerful question. What do I value? Because values don't change with time. And if they do, your values what I mean. Your principles, and they're not principles. They're hobbies, and that's different. So sit and find what, are you, what do you really value? What is it that you really consider to be the important stuff in life? And you'll say, well, my my family, my kids. And, and yeah, that's all well and good. But if you're being selfish, what are certain things that set your soul on fire? Okay, that's super important. It's actually interesting because I remember reading, um, I'm sure I'm going to get fact-checked on this because this is the Internet, so I, I might be wrong because I'm not big on popular culture, but I remember reading um, this story about Beyonce who kind of stuck through Jay-Z when he was not financially successful. Again, guys, I'm, I maybe I'm confusing the rappers or whatever. Um, I don't follow that stuff, um, but my point is that I remember... You know, her sticking by Jay Z, and then when interviewed, why she stuck by him was because she was so, she said she was already in love with his potential for success even before he actually was successful. So, what I'm trying to get out of here is that, that, that just that passion, that passion for life, right? That passion for committing yourself to something larger than yourself, larger than your relationship. And by the way, it doesn't, you don't have to change the world. It could just be, you know, that you're, you're building something in your shed or you're repairing that car or you're painting something. You're creating something. You're doing something to leave your mark. We need that. We need a mission. And psychological studies back this up, by the way, is that the, 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 the dopamine rush that we get from achieving a goal, that comes and goes but the increase in self-respect that we get just from striving to achieve something. In other words, whether we win or fail, just that striving contributes much more to how we see ourselves, to our self-confidence, to our self-esteem. So it's not so much important to reach that goal so much as it's important to set that goal in the first place. So that's the first thing to rekindle that, that, that passion in your relationship. And I know you're thinking, well, that has nothing to do with my wife. My wife doesn't care. I assure you she does. I assure you just that, that zest for, for life, that, that rekindled pleasure and passion and excitement is going to rub off in your relationship, which leads me to the next thing. Now you got all these creative juices flowing. Now you're feeling good. You're feeling excited. Life, life is, is bright again. Something interesting. Share that with the people that you love. Celebrate her. Celebrate her. And what that means is simple. Get a babysitter and sneak away together. I didn't say... Go on date night. I said sneak away together, and that's that's an important distinction. That's so much more exciting, and it doesn't matter what you do as long as you're sharing that moment together.
0: What if somebody is a middle manager at Dunder Mifflin selling paper products in Pennsylvania, you know, and they're like, I, you know, I've got three kids, and there's this, and there's that, and like, how on earth am I supposed to have a goal for myself or a passion or do any of that stuff? it seems easy enough to me to say, know, oh, just come up with something that you care about and start putting time towards it. But for those who say, I barely have time to breathe, let alone start trying to make my life feel exciting, what would be your answer to that?
1: Invent a office sport called Flonkerton.
0: I think about how much time I used to waste on television back whenever I drank. And now that I don't drink anymore, I've, I've barely watched a, a football game. I did not watch one football game this weekend during and it was a you know I don't know how big you are in a, a college football but well, you're a Canadian so never mind not at all you, not yeah. at all but I assure you being a Florida Gator college football matters a lot and having been born in a sooner country it matters even more and I didn't watch a second of football and I did so without any hesitation I had so many awesome things going on that's the original question so for those people who are so busy who think that they don't have time to rejuvenate your life. They, they they probably do if they were to really uh, examine where they're spending their time. Does it go back to time management issues? Does it go back to making something important? Uh, important, again, what's one of my favorite sayings? If you want something you've never had, you have to do something you've never done.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I mean, that's look, the truth is everybody has the same 24 hours in a day. But I know it sounds cheesy. I I, I know I know what you're thinking I, I probably don't have the same responsibilities as you. I don't have kids, but I, I know. I get that, and and that's okay, but this is just a neutral fact. Everybody has the same 24 hours in a day, everybody. So you choose how you spend them. Yeah, you're working hard, and and look, we all need some downtime, and I get that, but it requires sacrifice. Nobody said it was going to be easy, but again, the choice is always the same. You're going to sacrifice either way. Whether you like it or not, you're going to sacrifice. You're going to sacrifice in the things that you love. You're going to sacrifice in the, the way that you want to live. This is option one, by the way. This is the getting dragged, kicking, and screaming option. This is the, the, the life you didn't design. You didn't choose. You already hate it. You're already unhappy. Here's a scary statistic. Um, they did a survey a couple years back. Let me see if I can pull it up. But there was something like 70% of Americans are unhappy with their life choices. 70%. That means work, that means, uh, you know, there we go. Over 70% of U.S. workers are unhappy about their job. (laughs) Poll. That is a lot of negative about their job. This is a a Gallup study that's showing this. I mean, it's just, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. 50% of U.S. workers are disengaged. I mean, I'm sure that the, the statistics are the same in Canada. It's probably the same in the U.K. And this is the bottom line, is that, you have more choice than you think. You have more power than you know. And I'm not talking in some like Tony Robbins-esque, um, you know, look, I, I'm not expecting everybody to drop everything and become a, an entrepreneur the next day. All I'm talking about is salvaging the hours that you, you're you spending in front of the TV. I mean, that's a big one. That's a huge one, right? And and the point is that at some point, here's another interesting thing that I learned. I've been doing this for five years. And there's two types of guys that I've worked with. There's the guys who were drag-kicking and screaming, and the guys were like, hell yeah, I'm up. I'm up for it. Let's do this. Now, the guys were dragging and screaming. What usually happens is this: at some point, the pain becomes so unbearable that change will take place on itself. And I, I remember when I first started out, right, I was 18 years old. And it just gotten my heart broken. At that day. I didn't know what I was doing with my life. I didn't know what I was doing with women. And I was like, I'm going to figure this thing out. I'm like, I'm going to go out there and do it. And I heard, you know, I was like, oh, you mean there's these, there's these guys, these guys these Pickup artists who go out and just speak to women. Like I'm gonna do that too. And uh, you know, this is <laughs> this is before there's like all these videos and all that stuff. I just heard these rumors and I was like, oh, let me try it out. <laughs> and and I was just going out and I was just speaking to new women. And I, and I made it like a goal, like every every girl I'm afraid to speak to once a day. I'm gonna go out and I'm I'm gonna figure out if she if she bites if she's really all that scary. And I ended up meeting just the most amazing, the most amazing people, the most amazing women. I made these new friends. Like it was just. Such an eye-opening experience. Now, back in those days, I had uh, somebody who's quite close to me, who shall remain nameless for anonymity reasons, um, who started out at the same time as me. So I was close to them. So I was like, "Hey, look, here's what I'm doing. You know, after after your, your college, let's let's get together and let's go. Like, let's do our one scary challenge for the day." And at first, he came. The first few weeks, he was coming out with me, and then he dropped out. Then the excuses started piling up. Guess what? Now, seven years later, and the problems that I no longer even have to worry about. I mean, I, I live with the most incredible girl. I, mean, she's, she's, I have no complaints. She's phenomenal. I met her as she was getting on the bus. You know, I met my current girlfriend at, at, a, at a bus stop. And, um, you know, these problems that I no longer have to worry about are problems that he's still dealing with seven years later. And I realize you, you can't motivate somebody to take action. The only thing that motivates somebody to take action is pain. So at some point, the pain is going to get so unbearable that you're going to go, okay, do I want to keep doing this? And if the answer is yes, well, you have to live with your choices, right? That's what most people end up doing. They kind of hang their head down and like, look, well, there's nothing I can do, which in my opinion is the most like un-American thing you can possibly say. And I'm not even American, <laughs> but my point is, this, is that you, you have the choice. You always have the choice. So find time, make time, get up early. Cut out, take a TV and fling it out the goddamn window, whatever it is, find the time. <laughs> one hour a day doing what you love is the minimum. If that means waking up one hour earlier to meditate, one hour earlier to read books, one hour earlier to cook, one hour earlier to paint, whatever it is, you're in control. And it's it's. It, we're not asking for much yet. And everybody has that. I'm sorry. Everybody has that. So here's another fun stat. They did this interview of like 200 CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, both men and women. And they found that they all had this series of habits. They all had, they all read books. They all had some kind of morning ritual. In other words, they didn't wake up kicking and screaming like I'm talking about. They they had a morning ritual. They had something they did consistently when they woke up. They had all these, these this list, an interesting article, actually. It's worth, uh, it's worth looking up. But my point is that if these Fortune 500 CEOs can get up and find that time, so can you. And the alternative is, well, a slow and painful death. I mean, this is this is my my <laughs> rationale. Of, like, I mean, seriously, look, we're, we're all gonna we're all we're all gonna die, right? It's it's gonna end for all of us. Now, I'm a spiritual person, and I believe there's life after death. So, if that's the case, I'm covered. I got nothing to worry about because there's life after death. So, I can take risks. Right? God loves all his children, he's looking after me, I'm going to take the risk, I'm going to be crazy. Now, if you're a hardcore, ardent atheist, and there's nothing after this, this is your one shot, this is all you got, beautiful, take the crazy risks, go ahead and show up. Either way, this argument is, is, is working for you. No matter how, no matter what you believe in, you've got one chance and no excuse not to make this happen, because buddy, the clock is ticking.
0: You know, you brought up a really valid point there. It's something that definitely resonates with me was, you know, the pain threshold that we seem to tolerate. And whenever it came to my drinking, and, it's, you know, first year sober, there's a lot of references in my life to drinking. It will be interesting to see how that changes over the course of the next five and ten years, but for now it's still so fresh. I remember waking up in pain those first couple weeks of the new year, and it just got to a point where I I had planned on quitting the day after the Super Bowl, and I had to stop on January 13th, and it was. It got to that point where the pain was just so excruciating that I was like, I can't continue to do this anymore, and I think that's why the rest of this year has been so smooth for me because each time I start to think, well, that's that's something I've never done. I'm pushing myself into an uncomfortable place. This is is not something I'm – I prepared to actually do, whether it be the life coaching or the podcast or any of this stuff, I just think back to the pain I felt that day and how I made that change in an instant. And I just take that energy I felt the morning of January 13th and just bring it right back into what I'm doing now. And so I think you're right that when people, when that pain becomes so unbearable that you have to make that change or you're just going to drive yourself mad. And then always remember what that pain felt like and pull that back and use it in that moment you need it to push through that uncomfortable spot and and get yourself into a place where you're very happy with the decisions you're making.
1: That pain is that motivator. You're going to get to a point where you're, you're just going to have enough. You're going to be tired of it and you're going to go, there must be a better way to do this. And that's when you uncover the the fun part, which is like, wow, I can I can actually do this. I can wake up in a better way. You know, that's that's a funny thing that I always ask myself. Like, like it's, the habits that you build is kind of like an elastic band, right? It, people always think that ultra successful people they'll so they'll build these habits and it's like that's it. They're basically Rambo. Like nothing will stand their way. And and you know the the really successful people that I've met, and um, and I'm not even counting myself as as, as one of them because he's, you know. I have so much more to do. Such a such a journey left to to go through, but I mean these ultra successful people. It's like a it's like an elastic band. They'll they'll build these habits. They'll stick to it for as long as possible, and then they'll kind of veer from the path. Everybody makes mistakes. Nobody's perfect. But what's going to happen is because they built that solid foundation, the band will eventually snap, and they'll go right back to where they're supposed to be. So, in this situation, right? If you're if you're you're set up. And you're going, okay, I am ready for change. It doesn't mean it's going to be smooth sailing from here on out. And and no, it's actually quite hard. So I would sit down and I would ask myself, like, I'll fall off the wagon every so often, you know, like I'll, I'll, uh, the alarm will go off at 5 a.m. and I'll just turn the fucking thing off. Sorry, am I allowed to swear on this?
0: Oh, yeah. No, I'll get good.
1: So so I'm like turning the damn thing off and I'm like, you know, and I'll, I'll sleep in a little bit more. You know, and and I'll wake up and I'll I'll just turn my phone on right away. Instead of getting up and meditating and and, and then, like, you know, like I have my whole morning ritual. And I just skip it. I'm like, ugh, dirt. And, like, you can feel it throughout your day. Like, I can feel the difference in my attention span, um, how focused I am, how excited I am, how productive I am. Just because I I changed this one crucial part. But what's going to happen at one point is I'll go, uh, okay, I can feel myself getting sluggish. I can see myself performing not as well. I'm letting down my clients. Um, and then what's going to happen is I'm going to realize, okay, is this how I want my warnings to be? a Powerful question. Is this how I want X to be? And the answer is no, you can't hide from that. So if I'm getting a no, I need to change something. That's the bottom line. And then I'm going to snap back into those habits. So you want to build that solid foundation because when you do realize, okay, I don't want this. You can always come right back. And it gets easier and easier as you go along. The more solid your habit is, what's going to happen is you're, you're going to have off days. And that's okay, by the way. That's one thing I recommend to everybody is, you know, you're having an off day. You don't feel like sticking to the diet. You don't feel like going out and meeting new people. You don't want to work at all. Great. Make a make a ritual out of it. Like just What I would do back when I was in Canada, I had a bathtub at my place. So like this massive, massive bathtub, right? I would fill it out in like boiling hot water. I usually take cold showers. You know, like boiling hot water. And uh I would place I would put like uh, impractical jokers, which was my favorite show. And I would order like I would order Indian food from the place nearby and I would get like these graham crackers which I would just like candles, you know, incense the whole nine yards, you know, and I would just be like this fat lazy fuck in the bathtub all day, it's no working out. I, I wouldn't even get dressed, like I would hang out in a robe. But guess what? The next day I felt like crap for eating all that shit. I felt relaxed, I rested. Okay. Now it's time to get back to work.
0: High strung is might be the best word to describe me at times. Like I I find it extremely hard to relax. I meditate, I do this uh, S G. I chanting, Namiyaho, Ringekyo, push ups and abs and meditating and chanting in that thirty minutes the next Hour two, three, four, all the way up till it's time to go to bed, are going to be so much more productive, and I'm going to be in such a happier mental space. What I accomplish in those hours will more than make up for the fact that I took thirty minutes to just try to to rejuvenate myself.
1: Amazing, yeah, it's powerful. We all have our rituals that we rely on, and and it's, there's no shame in, in you know in relaxing every so often. But again, if you have those habits that you've built, you're you're going to be able to snap back into place the next day, and then get right back on the horse instead of, you know, dragging your feet for for we on that and not seeing any difference.
0: You know, in our pre-interview, you talked a lot about how your entire message is about removing clutter from men's lives. Dive into that a little bit more with me because your words are going to be much more eloquent than mine in, in describing that because it's a very powerful message about removing the clutter and, and, and making everything a little bit more simplistic in life.
1: Yeah, I mean look, to me the, the fundamental is always the same. It's it's the, the
0: journey any man can
1: take to improve himself almost instantly is to to learn to express himself as clearly and succinctly as possible. Right? To remove every every possible uh circular way of thinking that's gonna make things more complicated and and, and heavier. Heavy is really the word that that comes to mind at this point, right? It's it's just about expressing yourself as clearly and succinctly as possible to present that as the gift that you're bringing to the world, and and present it as a unique invitation. Right? We're not talking about catcalling women. We're not talking about this creepy, like trying to sneak into their party, like, hey, ladies, what are you drinking? You know, like this, just this, this total acceptance of yourself, of your desires, what you want, and presenting it as a gift, right? Just clearly and succinctly. I'm going to do this. Come with me. I would love to spend tonight with you. I can't wait to see you again like a man. And that's ultimately when you build that into a habit and it becomes part of who you are, there's a lightness to you. You become kind of the escape that, that people crave, people desperately need. I mean, I don't need to go through that statistic again. Most people hate their goddamn lives. (laughs) (laughs) You you bring that element of lightness. And, And I think that requires a huge deal of empathy. I always say, like, the, you know, profit seduction is, is, is empathy. You can't be judgmental of a woman and in love with her at the same time. It's one or the other.
0: I love that you bring up empathy because I'm, I'm over here looking at my list of my self-actualization alphabet. It's a 26-day program I'll be launching soon, just free, just something on, on YouTube for people to think about. And empathy is my E. And I, you know, it's also part of my mission statement to have empathy. It's a presupposition in in something that I study. Um, And it talks about just understanding what it's like to walk in another person's shoes. And so I think empathy is a huge thing that society, at least in the United States, I can't speak about anybody else. I just know what our country is doing. And it just seems that there's been a lot of empathy lost um, over time. I don't think it happened overnight that, if people could could tap back into and start to, to see just walk a second in somebody else's shoes, that their entire perspective of the world around them would change. What's your thoughts on that?
1: Oh, now we're getting controversial, but I'm one of the few self-development coaches who's actually quite right wing. So I I believe that empathy is a personal responsibility. I don't believe in using that to form government policy, but,
0: Oh, that's not no, what I mean, I'm referencing. My- I'm, I'm just, referencing somebody, <laughs> I'm, I'm just referencing walking down the street. The, me, me, and one of my friends was in Newport Beach recently. So I just want to clarify this because it's definitely not. We're not. We're definitely not getting into politics here. That was for David Winston not too long ago. But it's like we were sitting on a bench and we were like walk, watching all these people walk by. And she brought up a really valid point. She's like. You know, so many people just let everyone walk past them and they don't care and like everyone's gonna live a life and then eventually die and somebody's gonna be sad that person's no longer on this planet. And if we could just have mm-hmm. empathy for whatever that person's story is, and at the time there was some dude walking down the street with like dumb waiters and a fishing pole and this crazy hat, and like we could be making fun of this guy right now, or we could you know, change the story and think the reason why he's fishing off the pier in Newport Beach is because his grandfather taught him how to fish when he was a kid And, you know, his grandfather is dead now, and the only way you can feel connected to that memory is to go out fishing in the middle of the night wearing this ridiculous outfit. And we sat there with people watching on this bench for, like, the next hour or two and just building these stories about him. and how quickly (laughs) we were able to get into an empathy for all of them. Like, there was no sympathy. There was no sadness for them. We didn't know anything about them, but we built these stories, and what it did is it allowed us to feel connected to a complete stranger walking by us. And that's where I'm more about the empathy is just being able to see as a regular person walking down the street and think someone loves them and one day they're not going to be here anymore. And, you know, we should be celebrating life and everyone around us instead of constantly looking for a decisiveness between us so that there can be a a, a drama or a negativity. There's a very long way of explaining that. that. (laughs) No, no, I mean, I I like that a lot,
1: actually. And and if we're still on the theme of politics, I mean, my, my general idea is, basically simple is that you yourself as an individual have your not just the the ability but the responsibility to be the change that you want to see in the world i don't want to see the surrendering of civil society to to other forces it's always somebody else's problem so in line with empathy is you know go and help people don't wait and that's one thing i love about your country that's something i love about americans is when there's a crisis and when there's, there's there's things going on in the world i mean we often forget that the United States is the single most charitable country in the world. You guys gave more than 350 billion dollars in charity last year alone, just last year. I mean, it, it, those are big numbers. <laughs> so my point is that on a on a more uh, micro level, yeah, empathy and seduction is huge. It's super important because what happens is this: you're you're, you're not, you don't personalize what happens. You're showing up fully, and you're inviting. And you know, to me, I, I, see, there's one thing that bugs me when I see certain men go out, and they'll, they'll see women, um, you know, women will will kind of spurn their advances or something, and then they'll, they'll lash out, right? They'll get angry with, ah, she's just a bitch. I'm like, no, she's not. I mean, maybe she's having a bad day. Maybe, maybe you know, her father just died, or, or you know, maybe she actually. This is more often the case, but a lot of men will roll their eyes at this, but actually probably likes you but she's insecure about the fact that she likes you and she's going to sabotage it first so you don't have to um you know there's all kinds of reasons but that's <laughs> my point is that it you know to, to lower myself to to be upset at somebody that i don't know over something over a insignificant it doesn't say something about them it does something about me now let's say just for the sake of argument that she actually is a bitch quote unquote let's say that she actually is just she gets off on shooting men down i mean I, I don't know what it must be like to live that way. You know what I mean? Like if someone shows up and is genuine and, and, and it's, you know, like likes you and wants to get to know you better and you actually get an ego boost from, from being rude and dismissive to people like that. I mean, to me, that's pretty indicative of just the, of, of like a deep insecurity. I mean, again, I can't imagine what it must be like to live that way. So why would I be upset by that? Now that this is a very Buddhist principle that when there's this non attachment, when there's this, this non, judgment of whatever happens well all of a sudden you become open to every outcome and because you're totally open well that's when amazing things happen that's when you create all this space in your life for for stuff to take place that you never thought you know I mean I can't tell you just in my travels when I was living in Spain living in Amsterdam living in Poland now I mean the amount of people that I've met accidentally that ended up changing my life and all that because I was open I didn't come in you know in a box that showed up with total openness thing, here, here's my invitation. Here's who I am. Here's what I want. You're invited to come along and let's see what happens. <laughs> and that includes lifelong friends. It includes my girlfriend. It's just, it's just a whole litany of possibilities when you show up in that, from that perspective. Does that make sense? It does make sense.
0: You know, when you were talking a second ago about, you know, let's say the woman, you know, quote unquote acts the bitch on that thing. It brought up a stat that I read recently that um, when women – like so the difference between men and women in dating, obviously, there's a lot. But the one thing I remember reading that really – that took me aback was that when a, a men and women meet online, whether it's a Tinder or Bumble or whatever it might be, the number one fear that a man has going into that, that first encounter, that first date, is that the woman won't look like her picture. The number one fear that a woman has when she goes into that first interaction, that first date, is that she'll be assaulted. And so it really, it really blew my mind. Like the, the different things that are going through somebody's head whenever that first interaction comes, and it makes me think of, of your program and what you teach is, is, is the love, the safety, the connection, and how important that is to establish as quickly as possible, so that you, so that like a real interaction can start to take place, so the woman can let her guard down because if she's a, a quote unquote bitch when you ask for the phone number, she doesn't know you. you, you 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 can say you're a good guy, and this happened to my roommate recently. You know, he was talking to one of his one of his clients, and he's like, you know, I'm a good guy. I want to be the person who goes out there and teaches men how to be, you know, a good good person to treat people with respect. And she's like, yeah, that's what all the creeps say too. And then so I was like, oh, okay, you can't. It's it's, you, it's you've got to show not tell kind of mentality
1: yeah I mean that's it but a, a, my my mindset was always a rich man doesn't need to tell you he's rich, so when I was young and lost and confused and angry at the world, and you know I won't get too much into the the personal stuff but my my point is that when I was in that that space um you know i I, I love the first I love
0: the personal stuff. <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, my point is that I I went uh, I went about it in the conventional way. I I didn't you know it's not like I, I woke up one day and had all these spiritual realizations. I actually tried to do it the way other people did. I was like, okay, what 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 do successful men have that I don't? I was like, well, they're confident. Why are they confident? Okay, well they they must be in good shape. And I was like, okay, what else? What else do these men have? And then I was I was thinking of um, you guys, you remember that Dos Equis commercial, the most interesting man in the world? Yes. The guy sitting at the bar, you know, and he's got he's. He, like, he, he speaks Russian in French, you know, he wrestled a bear with his toe or something like that, you know. So yeah. I was like, okay, like I, want to, I want to, like, I was like, how can I be, this was my my rationale, right? How can I be so interesting that I cannot be ignored? So incredible that when I meet women, they're excited to spend time with me. In other words, it's not this this one-sided, you know. Trying to, trying to chase after a woman. It's just this equal, like we both appreciate each other. We're both excited to be with each other. So that was my rationale, right? And I was like, oh, I need to be like in super good shape and, then, and I need to have all these interesting skills, you know. So here's what happened. I started improving myself. I did it for all the wrong reasons, but eventually I kind of veered off track number one, which was being drag-kicking and screaming because I was hoping for other people to validate me. And then I kind of accidentally fell into track number two, which was, and I really like the self-improvement stuff. I, I really, this made my life worth living again. You know, it's, it's pretty cool that I, I get to jump out of bed in the morning and I cut out a lot of distractions. And then I bought a, I remember I went on Amazon and I bought like a ton of books, like like NLP books and, and sales books and build your business and entrepreneurship books and body language books and style guides and literally like nutrition. I was, I was a big fan of Tim Ferriss, right? So I bought him like. Four hour work week, four hour body, four hour chef. You know, I was like, I'm going to improve everything. And I was like reading voraciously. And that's the point, is that I, I kind of started enjoying improving myself for its own sake. And then what happened was accidentally. Because that was the other thing, right? My mentality was, I'm not ready for women. And I, I remember, see, here, here's a fun little personal story. I met a girl that I was so crazy about. I was so obsessed with. And I screwed it up because I got needy. And I figured that if, if, I'm, if I'm getting needy now, Alright, we went on three dates together, and I fucked it up. Well, imagine if we had we were in a relationship. Am I going to spend the rest of my life worried that I'm going to lose this woman? Am I going to have to spend the rest of my life compensating to try to keep her interested, interested in me? Or am I going to be such an interesting man that I cannot be ignored? And that was a better option to me. That was my mindset. I'm not ready. So I was like, I was like pushing women away. Go away. I'm like, I'm not ready for you. And guess what? They started chasing. So I was like, okay, hey, I'm going to give them my number and I'm going to keep focusing on myself. And then I started getting texts from women, calls from women, inviting me to spend time. And again, I was still this short, dorky, somewhat overweight guy. And I still had the same, you know, crooked face and asymmetrical face and, you know, annoying voice and, and whatever. Mm-hmm. Nothing had changed externally. <laughs> but they felt that shit, and it reminded me of that Beyonce, or supposedly Beyonce interview, right, where she said it was that potential for success that drew her to Jay-Z. It didn't matter the dollar sign. It was a bank account. And I think that's, a, that's the universal truth, is that a woman will will always be in love with a man who's, um, who's passionate about something larger, something better.
0: Yeah, that brings me to uh, a thought that I've been having for a while, and again, this is maybe just a United States issue. I don't know about the rest of the world, but there's a division, there's, there's a lot There's a lot going on between the masculine energy and the feminine energy in this country right now, and it's been happening probably since the women's movement that happened in, in the 1900s, but it's certainly coming to a tipping point now. We just had our first woman try to, you know, not try, but she ran for president, and we saw how that played out. But what I'm noticing is that it seems that men and women don't necessarily know what their roles are anymore because... You know, women are taking on what was once, you know, considered masculine roles, and men are, you know, raising the kids more now, and are, and are becoming more emotional and, and empathetic. And it, so there's 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 a there's a tear, and I bring this up because like even I battle with this. Like, you know, when are you supposed to be a man? What does that even mean in the 21st century? What is that? What, what is what is being a woman mean in the 21st century? Because Everyone can take out the garbage now. Everyone can go off and have a job. Everyone can have a fulfilling life. And then you get back in the house and you're like, okay, well, what, you know, I like I was raised by a dad who had a very, very strong masculine energy, and it was actually overbearing to my mother, and it led to the divorce. And so I saw how not to act. But at the same time, it's not like there's a whole lot of role models in the American society that say we've figured out the masculine feminine energy. What are you use On that, coming from Canada, you travel the world. You see so many different cultures. You know, is this just an American issue, masculinity and and femininity, and and how they're interplaying with each other, or is this something that the, at least the enlightened world as a whole is trying to figure out right now?
1: Yeah, I think it's a Western problem primarily. It's not. It's not just an American problem. It's a Western problem. So. I tend to rely on, there's a a Canadian woman called Karen Strawn and and she said something so perfectly. She was giving a lecture at the the University of Manitoba, if I'm not mistaken, Um, but she said it perfectly. She said, throughout all history, throughout time, throughout all cultures, the prevailing theme of masculinity has always been the ability to control your emotions so you can go out, strive, and achieve. It has always been the prevailing theme. And she gives a very good example. All you have to do is go on YouTube and type everyday heroes or something like that. And you'll see it's kind of always almost always the same premise. It's somebody falls down on the track and the women who are watching are frantically waving at the at the, the conductor of the train that's coming. And it's a man who jumps down, puts his life at risk, grabs someone, jumps back up. Now, I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of hate mail for this. I'm not saying women cannot be heroes, and I'm not saying women cannot take risks. What I'm saying is that from a masculine perspective, that energy that it takes, by the way, masculine energy can be uh, can be between genders as well. I mean, um, I'll give you a very good example, actually. Somebody uh, somebody very close to me has always had troubles in his previous relationship, and he's a very, very feminine guy. Right? He's, he's a creative type. He's a musician super emotional, he, he, he's been through some rough stuff in his life, and he's, he's kind of like, a, for lack of a better word, he's like a hippie guy, you know, and he's, he's soft and lanky, but he, he's a great guy, and he's got a, he wears his heart on his sleeve, and he's got these beautiful, emotional eyes, he's a wonderful person, I love him dearly, um, and he, he, he kept struggling, he was in a relationship for six or seven years, and it, he kept fighting and breaking up and getting back together, and it wasn't working out, and the reason was because this, this, he's in his feminine. His essence is feminine, and the woman that he was with was feminine in her essence. It wasn't working. She was expecting more from him that he couldn't give. It just wasn't working. Now he's got this new relationship. He's been with her for about two years, and she's wonderful, too. She's, everything's going great. They have an amazing relationship. They're great. Now, they came over and spent a few days with me back when I was in Canada, and, uh, and I remember I, I hung out with them a bit, and it was funny because she's got the direction. She's got the purpose. In a relationship, she's sitting there, she's planning their next musical concert. She's talking to managers and setting up deals. And, you know, and he's just playing on the piano, you know, testing out the music. And I was like, ah, that's why it works. He found that balance. So really, I think in this situation, what we need to do, first of all, most men have a masculine essence. It's a minority who don't have. And by the way, again, this is not a judgment. You know, you are what you are. And also your, your, your essence will change depending on the phase that you are in your life. So very career-oriented women will be more masculine in their demeanor. Um, those are also, by the way, when, when I work a lot with women, uh, I don't do so much uh, so much so anymore, but when I used to, those women tended to be the, the primary women who would come to me saying, I can't find a man strong enough to handle me. <laughs> and again, this is a Western problem. Because the women were forced to take on these masculine roles in the workplace, and then they kind of don't know how to shake it off when they leave the workplace. Um and and they carry that with them, right? so so unfortunately, men now are, are not stepping up to the plate, so it's it's kind of two problems the so The first one is that that yeah, men are no longer masculine, and the second one is that we the second part of that problem is that we don't know where to where to locate ourselves on the spectrum. So the solution to that is when you do locate yourself on the spectrum you'll you will have to find your your uh, reciprocal, basically, so too much of one thing is not good. two feminines will not work, two masculines will not work. There needs to be that balance. Again, it could be you could be in your feminine for some for whatever reason, and so you'll you'll gravitate towards a more masculine partner. Personally, right now I'm in my masculine. I'm I'm building my career. I'm building my empire. I'm very purpose driven, very focused. And my 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 lady friend is extremely feminine and absolutely wonderful. But it's that balance, and that's why it works so well. So it, to me, it's a it's a it's a kind of a two pronged problem. Does that make sense that I just ramble on here?
0: Yeah, it made it made a lot of sense and it got me thinking too. I mean, I I'm following it. The, the 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 audience might need to rewind and and hear it again because you make a lot of valid points. And and what I think is, you know, for me at least, I feel like there, I, I like to be able to think that I can switch back and forth to a more masculine sided energy, and then whenever necessary, a more feminine sided of energy. But I don't necessarily they may, they may not be exclusive. Like that,
1: like, no. Know, it, not. Look, it's, it's the yin you, and yang. It's the yin and the yang, right? So you have a drop of each in, in in each of them, and there's different ways. now I'm a believer that you need to explore both aspects to be uh, to be um, to be well-rounded. This is something I talk about in the course, so you're you're quite aware of that. But for example, uh, you know, when men get drunk and men get intoxicated, I mean that's a that's a way of exploring the feminine. It's it's not a healthy way of exploring the feminine, but it is a way of exploring the feminine. So you look at male retreats, right? It's like self improvement retreats, they'll go into the woods uh, and they'll they'll like chop down trees and they'll 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 kind of like face the elements. They'll face death, right? Masculine spiritual pursuit is always facing death. It's the same reason we get that rush when we when we we meet a beautiful woman and we walk away with a phone number. We're facing ego death. We're not facing actual death, but regardless, we're still. We're showing up fully, right? Now, when you look at the way that women will experience, uh, especially the more feminine ones, will experience these like, goddess retreats. I worked, I, I worked with this coach once. And she does this like, Ibiza goddess retreat, right? And it's like on the beach and in the beauty, you know, and it's just like dancing and singing and, like, you know, it's just, it's just like the polar opposite. But, but that's, that's the reality of the situation is that um, this, this release, this abandonment is the feminine embodied. So So when, when a man seeks to get drunk, he spends the week working his ass off, and then he just got like he's like, man, I just can't wait to pound that whiskey and just just you know let loose. That's him experiencing the feminine. Again, it's not a healthy way. It's not a judgment, but that is our our craving to find that balance. So whether whether we're aware of it or not, we're going to be seeking to balance that out. How do you show up fully when she needs you? And that's the most masculine thing, by the way, so to be there fully present so that there's somebody she can rely on. I'm I'm, I'm not a big believer in this modern Western concept that relationships are compromised. It's 50, 50. Sometimes you initiate, sometimes she initiates. Nah, fuck that. I I don't care what, what's like the, the the popular culture is leaning towards a, you know, get a woman alone, get her, get a couple of drinks in her and she'll, and then after the real questions, I know the lead up sounded a little bit, uh, not great, but I meant that <laughs> in a public setting. But ask her the questions you really want to ask, and she's going to give you the actual questions, the, the actual answers. And this is like the the, the non politically correct answers. And man, there's some pretty amazing stuff that's going to come out of her mouth. And that's that's always been one of my 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 uh, my uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? My brain is fried. It's always been something that I advise. Like you know, you want to be better with women, and you see this all the time with guys and like. You know, pick up artistry and like self-improvement and stuff. Now, they always end up surrounded with more guys. Like, you want to improve yourself, and you always end up surrounded with more guys who want to improve themselves. Like, go hang out with women. <laughs> you know, it's, just, it's like reading books about going to the gym. Like, just go to a goddamn gym and lift some fucking weights. You'll you'll get the hang of it. But just do it. <laughs> you know, so so stop hanging around with guys. Go and talk to the women. Go and ask them. Now, don't do it in front of their friends because that's a different answer. Again, I'm not big on this PC crap, so so if you're asking around the friends, everyone's polite all of a sudden. Nobody enjoys sex. Nobody's done crazy things and you know, but, but their sweaty friends have, but not them, right? <laughs> it's, it's, always, it's always my friend. Oh yeah, oh Jenny, she's such a slut, she had a threesome with these guys and it's like But when you're when you're alone it's a different story and she'll tell you things from her perspective that are that are sacred by the way. and this is stuff you, you, you keep to yourself. It's something that you share with her, it's sacred, but it's it's um it's gonna be so revealing because it's it's man, it's gonna give you this whole window of insight. And it's like what well, women say they want what they actually want are two radically different things. And there's a reason for that too, by the way. They're not they're not trying to get you. Guys think that women are out to get them. Like women are, are waiting for the next the next opportunity to you know, embarrass them and humiliate them and shout out they, they're, they're not. They're not, but they're looking to see if you're strong enough to handle them. They're not going to just, this is caveman stuff, right? She's not going to, you know, she, she's not waiting for your checklist. And here's why you should date me. I go to church on Sundays. I have a nice haircut. I clean my car out for this date. She's not interested in that, but it's how she feels. So she wants that to play out. She needs the time to get to feel, to to, to understand you, to feel you right? Empathy is a two-way street. You need to understand her, but she also needs to understand you. I mean, she needs to know that she can rely on you. And on top of that, we have a crisis of masculinity. So the reality of the situation is that like most, you know, most men have let her down, right? Most men have let women down consistently over and over. And then men get upset that women don't open up easy. That women put up their guard and they make them jump through all these hoops. Like, yeah, what do you fucking think? If you're, If you're, you've been burned so many times, wouldn't you?
0: Enlightening right there, what you just said, because I see that playing out so many times for me and for my friends. And I just don't think that they realize that holding that space and being accountable and being there for them is one of the most, if not the most important aspect of building a strong relationship because everyone's been burned. You don't, you don't, you were, you know, 18, 21 years old going through this hard breakup. And that's what radically changed your life. I'm forty one, you don't get to there's no age that you will get to without having baggage, without having something that weighs down on you. And and knowing how to release that and then still show up fully for the next person and not allow all those old stories to affect your your actions in front of them now it seems to me to be like the most important underlying current in this entire conversation. It takes like a like a, a radical moment to kind of shape the way that you you see
1: the world. And usually after that it's Things get a lot get get really fun because because I mean you uh, you can't go back to seeing things the old way you know it's like you you can never go back to relying on the crutches that you were relying on and again that's terrifying to most people but it's uh, it's also very empowering so you realize there's nothing I need to hide I don't need to pretend that I I'm not in on the deal and that I don't enjoy sex and that I'm not physically attracted to this one. of course I am but at the same time I know there's more to her so my challenge is how can I bring it out. And how can I bring that beauty in her? I already I already I already know that she's beautiful physically, so let's see if I can bring that out of her. Let's see what I can excite, what I can create, what what kind of memory we can create together. And that's I don't know, to me that's just a, a, a much more exciting
0: way to live. That's powerful. I'm gonna I already see ways that I can take that message and, and immediately put it into action into my life. Um, we are nearing the end of our amazing conversation, Patrick. So I've got my last two questions, two of my favorite things to ask. Before we get there, I just want to thank you so much for doing this conversation with me for the show. It's going to be a very powerful. Even though we had not the best connection at times, I feel like the as far as the actual phone connection, um, your energy, my energy, we worked really well together. So I just want to honor you and thank you for being on the show, but also for, for being – like a, a good, a good guy, and, and and trying to show other men out there how to be good guys without all the, the, the pickup artistry nonsense that is so easily found out there. Just your, your program is solid. You are a solid person, and 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 I think anyone who gets involved in this is going to come out of it just way, way, way more advanced than they could have ever seen themselves. So I just wanted to take the time to, to honor you and thank you for everything that you've done for me, but as well as for all the other men out there.
1: Awesome, man! I appreciate it. This was a uh, this was a lot of fun.
0: So we're gonna do the last two. Um, the show obviously it's called Everything's Interesting, and because I truly do find everything interesting, I could find somebody who makes shovels for a living interesting, and I could tell their story in an interesting way. And so it makes me think, and for you and everything that you've gone through in your life, and everything that you've done to create this the Magnetic Man project, and everything that you do with that, what is the most interesting thing that you've learned about yourself or about the program or about me, whatever it is, what is the most interesting thing that you have learned and everything that you've done to get to this point right now?
1: Wow. That's a good question. Um, honestly, honor everything. That's the that's a, the best piece of advice, whether it comes to women, whether it comes to you, your life journey, I mean, honor everything. Unless you're dead, nothing is beyond repair. And that's a damn good thing um that means that you know every single every single thing that i've been through um, i mean every single uh struggle every single downer every single disappointment every single beating every single you know everything you can imagine um it's led me to where i'm at today and I don't. I don't mean this as like a like bravado. right? Just, I don't mean it's a point of pride. What I mean to say is, I'm talking about the duality of life. If there's a high, there's going to be a low. If there's a low, there's going to be a high. But we need them. We need them. The the movie would be boring otherwise. It would be boring if I didn't go through this whole this whole journey. So, uh, my point is, just, you know. Honor the journey, man. Just just enjoy it. Enjoy the ride. And, like even the bad stuff. If you can find a way to smile, like even when everything's going wrong you know, it's it's a powerful meditation to be able to detach yourself, see things from a third person perspective and go like, I'm still alive. I'm still breathing. So let's see, let's, let's see what comes out of Um, (laughs) this. It it has this this tremendous ability to make your life just so much easier. And it's, yeah, and it's it's, it's just so worth it. It's so worth it.
0: You know, when, when you said that, it made me think of the hero's journey, which was something I read about a long, you know, I was a kid, I was a voracious reader as well. I just, we moved a lot. I spent a lot of time in libraries and learning about the hero's journey. And, you know, I think it's got 13 part way and most movies are developed this way, whether people realize it or not. But the most important aspect of these hero's journeys is they have to go very, very low in order to reach that hero status high that they they eventually rebound toward. And so I, I think if people would go off and, you know, look over the hero's journey and realize that you have to have those lows to fully appreciate and to even notice the highs. If you were always eating chocolate, chocolate would cease being exciting to you. If you rode roller coasters every single minute of every single day, roller coasters would get boring. Like you eventually have to get off and stand in a three-hour long line to get back on that roller coaster to fully appreciate that roller coaster.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I couldn't have said it better.
0: So last question, again, these are my two favorite parts. You you are on a stage, you're giving a speech, and the entire world can hear you. Language has no bar- barriers. The whole world can stop, and they can hear. They can just hear Patrick Ananda's message. You're getting ready to say your last sentences before the whole crowd erupts in, in, in cheer and you walk off the stage. What is that message you want the entire world to hear from you?
1: Jesus Christ. I've never been asked a question like that before. <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, it would be, it would be like the same one as I said earlier, get out there and welcome everything. It's really that, that, that simple. It, 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 it's the basic, this is Bhagavad Gita 101. This is, um, just spirituality 101. It's show up and detach from the outcome. And that's it. Um, you know, there's a a great um, this great little story about Gandhi. I know I'm not Gandhi. That's not what I'm talking about. But uh, this is great story about Gandhi, where uh, this interviewer asks, and the journalist asks him, you know, how can you can you can you, can you like prescribe how to live a happy life in in uh, three three sentences? And Gandhi says, I'll, I'll do you one better. I'll do it in three words: renounce and rejoice, which is the title of uh, chapter two of the Bhagavad Gita. And it's so powerful. Renounce and rejoice. Just let go, but show up. Show up fully, but let go. And
0: see how how different your life is going to be. That's awesome. Renounce and rejoice. Show up and denounce from the outcome. Words to live by, Patrick. You have been an amazing guest. Thank you so much for this conversation, Dave. I got chills when you were telling that just now. So I find it powerful. I think the listeners are going to find it powerful as well. We're going to have all the information about how to get in touch with you uh, in the show notes on my website. So I'm going to make sure we get anybody out there who wants to know more about what you do. They're going to get that into their hands because you are, you're just, you're a really great person. You're not out there saying one thing and doing another. You're very congruent. You do great stuff, man. I I just uh, hope that more people discover that because there's a lot that we all are holding on to that we need to release. And this is a really great way to begin that journey.
1: I appreciate that. Thanks. Thanks so much for saying that, Jesse.